Greetings and salutations, and welcome to the Meeting Lowdown, the weekly podcast produced by DebtWire Municipals. My name is Young Lim. I am the desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. Joining me today are three talented reporters, Caitlin Devitt in Chicago. Caitlin, what do you have on your agenda today? Hi, Young. I'm going to be talking about the latest developments in a lawsuit between Preston Hollow and Nuveen. All right. Simone Barabo in sunny Florida. What's on your docket today? This week I'm talking about the Puerto Rico bankruptcies, and the central question of the week has been, who can play on the Title III court? All right. Finally, from our headquarters in Times Square in New York, uh, Patrick Ferguson, what do you got for us today? So today we'll be revisiting the case between the Municipal Electric Authority of Georgia and JEA over the disputed Vogel Nuclear Plant Project. All right, let's get started. And to our listeners, we are recording on Thursday, June 13th, 2019. All right, let's start with Caitlin. Caitlin, let's talk about this uh, David and Goliath case. What is this case all about and why is it so closely watched? Well, the case is a lawsuit between um, Preston Hollow, which is based in Dallas, and it's a relatively young and relatively small um, buyer in the high-yield market, and Nuveen, which most people know it's based in Chicago. It's an investment giant. It's also the largest high-yield player in the muni market. Um, so Preston Hollow, in, in late February, sued Nuveen uh, to stop behavior it said was anti-competitive and defamatory. It was basically accusing Nuveen of threatening Nuveen of threatening to withdraw its business, Nuveen's business, from leading broker dealers unless those broker dealers stopped working with Preston. Um, Nuveen also Preston said Nuveen also threatened to withdraw its business from Deutsche Bank, which is Preston Hollow's primary lender. So that would have been a big deal. Of course, it would have cut off all the liquidity to the smaller firm. So that's the case, and you know the market's following it closely because it it sheds light on on the competitive high yield muni market, which is often you know a little bit opaque, and uh, sheds light on how it works in terms of competition. It's very competitive, especially now with the market the way it is, but just in general, it's competitive, and also the way the pricing works. Both Preston and Nuveen tend to buy one hundred percent private placements. Um, and also, you know, because of the firms and the personalities involved, high profile, like Nuveen's John Miller, head of municipals. Most people know who he is. He's well known. And, and the firms and personalities are considered influential. So that's a lot of the reason why people are paying attention to it and why we think it's important. All right. Well, thanks for the background. So tell us uh, what happened last week. So last week, um, the Delaware Chancery judge who's overseeing the case held a hearing um, Preston Hollow's effort to unseal some transcripts of telephone conversations. There was a very brief hearing. The judge basically indicated he's likely going to unseal the tele- the transcripts. The transcripts are, I think, f- four or six. It's unclear. Four or six telephone conversations, largely between Deutsche Bank and Nuveen. Um, Deutsche Bank produced them under subpoena from Preston Hollow. That's how it's, uh, Preston Hollow subpoenaed um, most of the major broker dealers and, and Deutsche Bank in the case for the communications. So both Deutsche Bank and Nuveen had fought the effort to unseal the records, saying that they were confidential. And Nuveen argued in its filing ahead of the hearing that um, Preston Hollow isn't really interested in what the public deserves to know. That had been Preston Hollow's argument. Um, but is really only trying to embarrass Nuveen and harass Nuveen by making the public records. 
But the judge, you know, as I said, he didn't rule formally, but he said he's most likely going to unseal him. He really didn't see any reason not to. He said there was a few names in there that he, he would consider keeping retracted. But otherwise, he gave Nuveen 10 days to designate which sections they think would fall under the rules of being confidential, like I said, such as employee names. And after that, it's expected that the transcripts um, will be unsealed and that both parties will be able to, you know, use them in their filings or however they're going to end up using them. So then what's next in the case? Well, the dispute over the telephone records is, you know, part of the larger discovery process because there's a trial set for July 29 and 30. So that's what, you know, everybody will be keeping their eye on. Um, There's several subpoenas to broker-dealers that are still out there that are expected to produce additional information. There might even be some oral subpoenas for oral testimony from some of the bank, from some of the broker-dealers in the case. Um, separately, the judge still has to rule on whether to allow Preston Hollow's defamation claim to go forward. He ruled on the other claims, allowing them to go forward, except for one, but hasn't ruled on that one. So that still has to be settled. You know, Naveen, of course, is trying to get it dismissed. And then, assuming there isn't a settlement, um, the two sides are going to hash it out in trial at the end of July. All right. Well, we look forward to uh, your coverage on this uh, major topic in munis. Thank you, Caitlin. All right, let's move on to Simone in Florida. So you said in your intro that the central question of the week was, who can play on the Title III's court? What do you mean? What did you mean by that? So this has come up in a few contexts. First, late last week, bond insurer AMBAC was fighting to lift the stay in a case in which it's trying to get rum excise tax revenue that backs some of the bonds that it insures from the federal government. So it wants to bypass Puerto Rico, get it from the federal government. First, the Oversight Board argued that they shouldn't be able to lift the stay for all of the usual reasons. But then, a few days later, a lawyer apparently was reading the trust agreement and had a eureka moment. And they filed another document saying AMBAC can't sue because under the trust agreement, only the bond trustee, not creditors, has standing to bring a case. AMBAC hasn't really responded to the issue directly. Instead, it's argued that the standing issue can't be separated from all the other issues and they should be all argued in due course. It called the standing issue, or bringing it up in the way that the oversight board did, plainly tactical. So maybe they can play, maybe they can't. Ultimately, it will be up to Judge Laura Taylor Swain, who's over the, seeing the Title Threes. All right, then the next question is, what are the other cases where standing has been an issue? This week, over the past two weeks, really, it's become a major issue in, pre- in the PREPA, that's the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority restructuring support agreement motion. You have a lot of groups, industry groups, environmental groups, labor unions, fuel line lenders, wanting to testify at the hearing that Judge Swain should not approve the agreement that... PREPA made with bondholders. They want to testify that the deal will result in electricity rates that will cripple Puerto Rico's economy, or it'll be so expensive it'll lead to a death spiral, and that the deal discourages moves to renewables, so that will be damaging to the environment. In some cases, they want to say that the rights are being illegally preempted by the agreement. But PREPA creditors and the oversight board are trying to limit who can testify on the issue to more or less the people who have agreed to the restructuring support agreement. They argue that others don't have standing to do so. They're saying there's one and only one question that Judge Swain has to answer before she accepts or rejects the agreement. And that's 
is the amount bondholders will be paid, which is somewhere between 67.5 and 77.5 cents on the dollars, in the range of reasonable? If it is, she should approve the motion. She can find at a later point that the deal isn't confirmable as part of the exit plan if there are other problems with it, they say. Some of the groups who the Oversight Board is trying to block from testifying are arguing directly that the deal preempts their rights, and that's why they should be able to argue against it at this stage. But other groups are saying that the deal basically spells out what PREPA's exit plan will be. And that plan will, according to them, violate Puerto Rico law, be unsustainable, be economically detrimental. And the judge should hear their evidence before she okays the agreement. Who can testify will be decided in the coming weeks before the July hearing on approving the deal. So now that's the second game of who's allowed to play. So tell me, Simone, is there a third? Believe it or not, this week, yes. We saw the first pushback from General Obligation and Highways and Transportation Authority bondholders in the avoidance action cases, or the first legal pushback, at any rate. In those cases, the Oversight Board argues that bondholders basically don't have a lien on anything. And a subset of bondholders this week either countersued or, in the majority of cases, asked for the case to be dismissed. And everyone defended their liens, of course, but they also argued that the Oversight Board, along with the Unsecured Creditors Committee, had no business bringing the cases to begin with. That's because the Oversight Board members were improperly appointed, according to the First Circuit Court of Appeals. And the appeals court has let them keep operating until July 15th, even though they haven't been properly appointed. But unless the Trump administration reappoints them and they get Senate confirmation, which is looking less and less likely, everything will screech to a halt on that day since the Oversight Board will no longer be allowed to operate absent another court order. All right, Tamal, i got one more question for you. Will the appeals court decision stand? That is an open question. And that seems to be the only thing that the parties agree on is that the Supreme Court should hear this appeal. Creditors in a labor union appealed because they want the Oversight Board's decision decisions up until now, so every decision they've made since the beginning of the Title III's until this point, they want all of those overturned. The Oversight Board and the U.S. government have appealed because they say that board members were properly appointed to begin with, but they all agree the Supreme Court should decide the case. They asked this week for the court to consider hearing the case at their conference next week, and if they decide to hear it, to put it on the session starting in October. All right. Well, thank you, Simone. Thank you for your continued coverage on legal matters down in Puerto Rico. All right. Let's close it out with Patrick Ferguson, a reporter here in New York. Now, tell us about this whole debacle between JEA and MIAG and with home court advantage, looks like, trying to seek... Yeah, so for those that don't know, uh, GEA, a municipal utility in Jacksonville, Florida, is trying to get out of a power purchase agreement with MIEG that forces GEA to pay part of the construction of two nuclear units at the Vogel plant in Georgia. So the utility cites cost overruns and delays. The price of the project has ballooned from about $14 billion to about $27 billion. Uh, needless, needless to say, Mieg doesn't want JEA to leave the project. Uh, Mieg is part owner of the project along with Georgia Power and a couple of, of other utilities. 
and JEA is an off-take partner, meaning it doesn't have an official say um, in, in terms of leaving it, of leaving the project. Uh, in September of last year, Mieg and JEA sued each other in separate courts and have since been battling over which court has the jurisdiction to hear the case. But it seems as though Mieg might be losing some ground. In the past couple of weeks, a federal district court in Georgia and in a federal appeals court dismissed Mieg's cases. All right. Well, Pat, thanks for the primer. So tell us, what's going on now? So Mieg has filed an emergency motion to stop JEA from seeking uh, to get its case remanded to a circuit court in Duval. Basically, Mieg just, this emergency motion seeks to just stop proceedings uh, while Mieg try uh, to get it heard back in Georgia. So the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals rejected Mieg's, uh, Mieg's appeal, but did so without prejudice, giving Mieg the opportunity to try again. And so it did. But then a few days later, uh, Monday, uh, the federal district court in Georgia said it didn't have the authority, basically forcing me to go back to the appeals court. So what's next then? Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of filings going back and forth. Um, this is interesting to note. So JEA's management have said a few times they're in discussions to settle the lawsuit, but we haven't heard any terms or more details of those uh, of those negotiations. So it's interesting to look at all these filings, these back and forth, and the court um, maybe has some relevance to the negotiations. Uh, also, there's an issue with Mieg's legal counsel, or at least JEA says so. JEA argues that the law firm should not be allowed to represent Mieg because the firm previously worked for JEA. Um, JEA says you know, has those uh, conversations, those workings in documents, but has not disclosed those documents. Mieg has asked the asked the district, federal district court in Georgia to force the JEA to show the documents that connect the law firm's prior work uh, with JEA to the Vogel plant. So we should have those documents uh, released by the end of the month. And the law firm you're, you're talking about that represented me, I guess, Oric, Harrington, and Sutcliffe? That's correct. Okay, just want to double check. And again, for those listeners, uh, MIAG again stands for the Municipal Electric Authority of Georgia, which you did mention in the intro. But uh, thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Simone. Thank you, Caitlin. Uh, thank you to our producer, Andrew Constantino. But most importantly, thank you to our listeners for listening in. Uh, please log on to DebtWire.com for the latest on distressed municipal debt. And to your fathers out there, happy Father's Day. Thank you all. Good day.